This is Peacock. I love it! It's streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals. It's The Office. That's what she said. Chrisley knows best. It's gonna be Todd's Way or the Highway. And Peacock original shows like Punky Brewster. Holy mackinoli. So whether you're in the mood for every live WWE pay-per-view or every episode of Law & Order SVU, Peacock's got you covered. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress Takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Hello, and welcome to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm your other co-host, Edwith Theogene. Hey, Edwith. How's it going? Good. Hey, Charlotte. Happy Wednesday. Happy Malcolm X birthday today. Oh, there you go. Yeah, national and, holiday. Yeah, and also happy birthday to my older sister. Gonna take a moment to just shout her out. Happy birthday, Dorothy. Now, now you're gonna know whether she listened to the show or not today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we have a great show for y'all today. Thanks again for joining us. Um, today we are going to talk about some awesome momentum that we have seen, um, in the past, I'd say month or so on an issue area, um, that the folks on this call have been working on for a very long time. So we're very excited about it. Um, in the past month, four different proposals have been released that aim to make college affordable and accessible, and to prevent students from having to choose between obtaining a higher education and going into debt. So these proposals represent, like, I cannot overstate, (laughs) significant progress on the issue of college affordability and are a testament to the hard work that advocates uh, and experts have put into ending the student debt crisis and addressing its root causes for, for several years. Um, so there are four proposals on the table and they share some common elements that we're pretty excited about. Um, and we're going to go into what each of these things need, but those elements include a federal state partnership, um, crucial investments in historically underfunded HBCUs and minority serving institutions, um, and community colleges. They also expand financial aid eligibility, eligibility to dreamers. I'm too excited about this, Edwith. Um, And the American (laughs) Families Plan proposed by the Biden-Harris administration would also make public community colleges free for students and provide two years of subsidized tuition at HBCUs, TCUs, and MSIs. And we'll talk more about what those are uh, as we get a little bit deeper into the show here. So to discuss what these proposals represent for um, the free college and college affordability movement um, for the college affordability crisis, and where we should go from here, we are joined by two fabulous expert guests. I want to welcome Antoinette Flores. She's the Managing Director for Post-Secondary Education at the Center for American Progress. Hey, Antoinette, how's it going? 
Hi, Charlotte and Edwin. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. Um, and then also, I'd like to welcome Russell Boyd II, a national field organizer for the NAACP Youth and College Division. Russell, thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, glad to have you both on. Well, <clears throat> just to start us off, um, to give people a little bit more about your background and you know how you came to the work, uh, Russell, what does your work um, at the NAACP entail and how did you come to work in this space? Absolutely. So I'll start with the latter half of the question first. So I actually um, was a member of NAACP in college and I uh, was a member first and then kind of joined, assumed a lot of different uh, leadership roles. And I just love the organization so much of what I was able to do. It was really a, a large part of how I kind of molded what my journey in life was going to be. I knew that I wanted to help and serve people and the NAACP definitely gave me a route to do that and do so in a space that I felt welcomed and celebrated. Um, and then I was able to do critical work for, for black people. That was something that I really wanted to prioritize in my life. And I, so was in the NAACP, um, assumed a lot of uh, leadership roles, ended up graduating college um, and uh, moved to Washington DC for grad school. And then moving to grad school, uh, moving to Washington DC uh, in grad school, uh, studying advocacy politics, still wanting to be in that world. Um, I was still engaged in NAACP even as a graduate student. So trying to balance that was a lot. And I remember um, I met my former boss at that time and about two years prior when I graduated college and we just stayed connected over, uh, over times that we went out and got coffee um, one time in Washington, DC. And we just talked about the movement and the work. And I remember a few months later, they posted a job posting at the NAACP uh, for a national field organizer position. And I applied and I joined the team and it's been just great ever since being able to, to work with young black people and leaders across the country to really build these advocacy campaigns and, and build political power and build advocacy power has just been such a blessing because it's, it's work that's relevant to me in my life and it's everything that I've wanted to do. Um, and I kind of segues into what I actually do at the NAACP. So I do work with our incredible uh, members um, in the Youth and College Division, which is everyone under the age of 25 in the NAACP. And we uh, work to build uh, membership power, we work to build advocacy and political power. Um, we are connecting our young leaders on the ground to uh, the advocacy campaigns that we do at the national level. At the moment, we are prioritizing civic engagement, student debt cancellation, and college affordability. Um, and we also have our national COVID campaign as well um, that we're working on, in addition to a host of um, anything that's related to uh, the well-being um, and advancement of, of uh, communities of color and Black communities. So uh, definitely expanding on that work, but also making sure that not only are they connected to those campaigns, but they have the training, the materials, and the resources to have successful advocacy wins on the ground um, and to be able to really move their communities in a way that uh, fights for justice, that fights for actual equity in this country. Um, it's a it's a whirlwind of a job. It's a lot of stuff to do. It's a lot of hours, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, and just being a product of that work and now being able to do it on the back end has also been such a blessing as well. Um, hope that answered the question. Yeah, you totally did. That actually sounds lovely. Thank you for sharing, I guess, your story of self, as well as the amazing work that NAACP is doing. Um, Antoinette, uh, moving on to you, can you tell us a little bit about your role on the CAP Higher Education policy team and uh, tell us a little bit about what you're currently working on. Sure. So um, it, as already mentioned, my name is Antoinette Flores. I am the acting vice president of the post-secondary education team at the Center for American Progress. 
And uh, our team's work focuses on higher education policy, mostly at the federal level, under a number of different categories. And that includes equity, which is a big bucket and in, in really uh, centered on all of the areas that we cover, but that includes issues like access, affordability, and attainment in higher education. We also do a lot of work on quality and accountability and uh, federal data. And my work in particular, much of it has been focused on the quality and accountability pieces in the higher education system and how to strengthen federal rules and regulations to ensure that uh, colleges are serving students well, which is an issue. But we're working on a number of different things at the moment and are very excited to join this conversation today because one of the things we've been digging into are the various college affordability proposals and what they mean for students. And that includes the, the three pieces of legislation and uh, President Biden's recent proposal to address college affordability as well. Um, among other things, one of the things that I've been working on with another member of our team is looking at how a group of colleges that have raised flags at every level and uh, have been the subject of lawsuits and investigations, um, how many times red flags have been raised, the harm that's been done to students going back all the way to 2008 and um, how that group of schools has been allowed to continue enrolling students. Awesome. Thank you so much. So two, two experts, two advocates, two uh, fabulous guests um, on the show today to talk about how, uh, how folks have come to this work. I mean, I think uh, the the breadth of knowledge that you both bring um, across the board uh, on advocacy work um, and uh, the, the the details and the nitty gritty of being able to figure out like what is going to be the policy reform and the data that gets us the best possible solutions for the most number of people um, is an incredible one-two punch. Um, I think that we are not too far away from our commercial break here. Um, we I just I have to say, like, I, I think people who listen to this show know that this is one of my, um, my passion areas, one of my favorite things to work on and talk about. So I am just so psyched to have you both on to talk about um, why the momentum around um, free college and debt-free college um, is, is so important and so momentous. Um, right now, especially because I think people hear so much about student debt cancellation um, in the news. And I'm excited to talk about why this is like, this is really two sides of the same coin, right? We can't just do state student debt cancellation and help folks um, who have current student loans. We've got to do the free college too. So we'll talk about this uh, when we come back from our commercial break. Um, this is Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Edwith Theogene. And I'm Charlotte Hancock. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Today, we're having a really great conversation about what do recent college affordability proposals mean for young people? 
And I'm really stoked about this because I am someone who has student debt and who had a hard time getting into college, paying for college and all these things. So I'm happy to have this conversation today with Russell Boyd, National Field Organizer from the NAACP Youth and College Division, and Antoinette Flores, who's the Acting Vice President of the Post-Secondary Education Team at the Center for American Progress. Hello, Antoinette and Russell. Welcome back. Hello, hello. Hey. Thank you. Um, so to jump right back into conversation, Russell, um, at a high level, can you explain the college affordability crisis as it stands now? And what do you think needs to change? Oh, wow. That's such a, a, a large question. I'll see if I can <laughs> succinctly tackle it. Um, you know, when I think about the college affordability crisis, I mean, I obviously think about it from a personal perspective first as a person who, you know, has been impacted by it. You know, my entire life, I was told, you know, go to school, go to college, get this degree. You'll be able to afford the life that you that you want. You'll be able to buy the house, have a car, be able to live comfortably. If you're able to just get this degree so that you can get a, a lies. good job. Lies. lies. Right? Absolute <laughs> lies. And, you know, I, I, much like many of us, I was told those lies and I believed them. And I did it. I, I went, I got the degree. I was a first generation college student. I was so blessed to be, you know, to go off and pursue that for my family. But I pursued that very, like, just very, uh, with so much happiness and just so much joy, but not a clue in the world, signing everything away, not having any type of understanding of student loans, what I was doing or any of that. But I, I knew I, I was saying, you know, they told me, hey, just pay this. Sure, we'll pay for it for you. Just sign this away and don't have to worry about anything. You'll be able to go to school. You know, everything will be covered for, you may have to work to cover things here and there. And, you know, I believe that. And, you know, it was cool while, while it lasted, but then you recognize, wow, I'm okay, I'm now here on this college campus. Yeah, tuition is technically paid for, but I'm still having to pay for so much, these expensive books just to live on campus, this meal plan, these fees that probably aren't covered and by my uh, financial aid, especially depending on what my parents make. And sometimes just because your parents seem to make a lot of money on, on paper doesn't necessarily mean that that translates to the money in the household. And that's so impactful in, uh, in the case for a lot of people. And, you know, now having to work so much in college just to stay there. So that's stress and pressure while also still trying to make good grades while being involved, involved in campus and having internships because I'm told you have to do more than just go to class. You have to be a well-rounded student. So I now have all of this stress and all of this debt. Yes, I got this degree, but now, you know, I'm in this economy, I'm in this workforce that's kind of tricky and that's also very discriminatory against a lot of people um, for a lot of reasons. So I'm now having to navigate that, that world. Um, and especially in this economy, if you're a new graduate as well, um, having to graduate in COVID, luckily that wasn't my reality, but that's the this, that reality for some of the, and a lot of the young folks that I work with and having to just navigate that, all of those stresses, not knowing if you'll live or die from this global health pandemic, you're still trying to navigate a job as well. You may have lost the job that you had because of COVID. So it's just a lot of financial stress and burden. And yeah, they put a pause on these payments, but you still have the stress of knowing when that pause is over, I have to pay this back. And I don't know how it's going to be paid because either I have a job that can't even cover my own personal expenses in this, or I'm to a point to where I don't even know how, if I pay for the lights or am I going to pay for my student loan bill this month. It, it, a lot of people are faced with that reality. I've been faced with that. 
And, you know, what about those people who don't have the, that payment pause, who are on private loans, who are still having to actively pay, who are still being, you know, preyed on by predatory institutions? So I know that's a large snowball and flurry of things that, that I just covered in that. But that, that theory, that, that fire, all of that that came from that is the, the college affordability crisis. That's what it is. That's what so many of us are feeling every day. That's what so many of these new graduates are walking out into this COVID world having to experience. And if you're a black borrower, if you're a black woman borrower and, and the impacts that, ha that has on you automatically in addition to the other things, we have to talk about that. We have to talk about immigrant bars and veteran bars and people um, with disabilities um, and people who are targeted by, for profit colleges, all of those different experiences and how that impacts them. So it's just a whirlwind, whirlwind of issues that definitely need to be tackled. And I'm, I'm glad to be doing this work to at least attempt to tackle them um, as we try to reimagine society. Wow. Russell, yeah, I was going to say that is so real. And I appreciate you sharing your story with us because I think that's so important. I think there is like a big misunderstanding still, um, you know, even in progressive spaces about what people are talking about when they say they're dealing with student loan debt. I mean, um, Emily uh, Leach, who helps pull together the show, she was in an interview, um, facilitating an interview with a reporter um, about a year or two ago of, um, with, and this reporter, I think she was probably in her sixties or seventies. Um, she was like, no, student debt shouldn't be canceled. There shouldn't be free college. Like I worked my way through, I paid everything off. And, um, you know, it was sort of like this, this woman was like smart. She was well-educated. She was well-read and she still had a fundamental misunderstanding of, um, the student debt crisis and how things are so different, um, for many people today trying to go through school than it was when they uh, were going to school um, and you know the privilege that they might have had to be able to um, access college both because the federal government and states subsidized it back then and because of um, you know their, their uh, racial privilege um, and things that allowed them to actually access college um, that and they didn't have the same kind of wealth gaps that many people are dealing with today in trying to afford school so um, you know I think that it's totally reasonable to be fired up Russell and I, you know, I think that it's important that people share their stories to say, like, actually, I don't think it is what you think it is, um, legislators or policymakers or, you know, decision makers. I don't think that you guys know exactly what we're dealing with these days. Um, and maybe you need to take a closer look. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, Edwith, I know that you are like, you're, you're feeling some feelings there and it seems like you're going <laughs> to jump in too, but no, I mean, I, I, again, just like really appreciate everything that you shared. And I feel like you were able to really capture the sentiment of the moment too, as someone who graduated, well, I was supposed to graduate in 2007, 2008. And I saw my peers just like go into that particular crash. And now thinking about, you know, there are some of us that are dealing with the crash right now in this new generation that's also coming out into the job market as well. And, you know, folks who are entering into college. So it's a lot. Um, I want to pivot and, just a Oh, sorry. I was going to say, sorry to interrupt it with, but like, it's a lot. And also, but we still have to have college degrees. Like we still, people are like, well, don't go to college. And it's like, so, so what job do you want me to get? Like, what are you, what are you, what are you telling me that I'm supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's a lot for sure. Cause like I, similarly to you, Russell, like I'm first generation college student and even surviving college was sort of challenging and difficult because there's no real direction. Like you're literally rewriting your future and your present, like on your own and even with different support systems. Um, it's not always the best. 
So we're going to be right back. We're going to head over to break and jump right back into uh, discussion to figure out like what are some of the different proposals and solutions that are out there. So thank you for joining us. And we'll be right back with the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Charlotte Hancock. And I'm your other co-host, Edward Theogene. Awesome. Okay, so... I want to I want to jump right back into this. So today we are talking about some of the recent momentum around the college affordability crisis um, and where we should go from here. Um, and I want to welcome back our special guest, Antoinette Flores from the post-secondary education team at the Center for American Progress and also Russell Boyd, uh, national field organizer for the NAACP Youth and College Division. So Antoinette, my first question um, as we're back is for you here. Um, We've been talking a lot here about, you know, the the current student debt crisis, how it exists, how we're um, all experiencing and that sort of thing. How did we get here? Like, why are some of the fixes um, that are being proposed right now um, so important? Um, and what exactly is it that they're stemming? Because this didn't just happen, you know, like this is this is sort of like a quote unquote, like recent crisis um, that uh, we've the student loan debt has been swelling to 1.6 trillion over the course of the past like 20 ish years. So, you know, it's like it's it's sort of new ish um, in a certain way, uh, even though it feels like it's been going on forever to everybody who's living in it. Yeah, thanks for that question. We've all heard about rising tuition. I think that's something that's well understood. We've we've heard about increasing uh, student debt levels among students that have to attend, that have to, that choose to enroll in college. Uh, Maybe you've heard about student loan defaults or challenges with student loan repayment and student loan servicers. That's because there's a lot of different aspects that have led to the current moment. And that also means there's a lot of opportunity for fixes and a lot of work to do. Uh, But one of the causes of rising tuition has been state disinvestment in public institutions over time. This has been a trend that has been going on for the last several decades, but that really accelerated after uh, the last Great Recession. States were experiencing uh, budget crunches and had to uh, pull back funding from their public institutions. In turn, a number of things happen. One is that uh, public institutions have to raise tuition and make up for some of that. Uh, it might mean decreasing the number of programs or the, the level of student support. For students and families, that means increases in student debt. There are a number of other reasons behind some of the increases in debt. One is that a lot more people are going to college who maybe traditionally didn't and who might be lower income. That's a good thing overall uh, because we know that today's economy, a college degree is increasingly required. Uh, Another aspect of rising debt has been 
uh, the, the federal Pell Grant, which is a grant for low-income students to help them afford the cost of college, and that does not have to be paid back, uh, hasn't kept pace with the increases in tuition. So where it used to cover 70% of the full cost of attendance of a public four-year higher education, today it covers less than 30%. Um, and then another thing that that has led to the explosion in debt is uh, more people are going to graduate school. And Edwith, you mentioned this, uh, graduating around the Great Recession. A lot of people at that time went back to school. And we see that same trend happening now. A lot of people that are graduating into this economy are deciding to go to graduate school. Well, that requires more debt. Uh, so it's somewhat an impact of our economy. It's somewhat an impact of states not investing in their higher education institutions. And the other trend we saw after the last recession that is also happening now was there was an explosion in for-profit colleges that end up charging much higher uh, cost of attendance. Uh, students end up taking on significantly higher debt, and they're a lot less likely to graduate and get a job because those colleges aren't investing in their students' education. They're, they are focused on making a profit on students. <clears throat> um, so those are some of the causes when you look at who's really having trouble and you look at who's defaulting on their student loans. Uh, so, uh, half of people who default on their student loans never completed their degree. Um, and about 90% at one point received a federal Pell Grant. That means they're low income. And the problem is that we are asking people that don't have money to begin with to take on high levels of student debt that then have trouble repaying later. And so this is all kind of uh, intertwined with each other and requires multiple fixes. Thank you so and much for, oh, go, go ahead, Charlotte. No. no, I was just gonna say, thank you so much for walking us through um, some of those like root causes. Cause I think it's important to contextualize all of those things, especially as someone who's like, you know, I was on the Pell Grant um, and I was essentially in college for about 10 years for a four year degree. So I literally saw my state, the state of Florida disinvest in tuition and the tuition hikes like happen across the board. So you really like outlined a lot of things that, you know, it's one thing to experience it, but to actually understand like the state of play of the root causes. Um, I don't, Charlotte, did you have another comment that you were going to say before the next question? Or? No, I was, I was going to, I think, yeah, thanks for sharing that, Edwith. Um, I was going to shift into next question. And Antoinette, um, also to ask a little bit about, I mean, with all of those things at play there, you know, it's, it's sort of like, you've got these two things against each other where it's like, we, like many people uh, are, you know, a promise was broken to the American people here, right? Like it was sort of, as Russell was saying, like, do all these things, you'll get a good job, you'll get, um, you know, economic mobility, um, you'll uh, end up in like a more economically stable and secure place than like your parents were and that sort of thing. And that has, uh, like, while, while it is still true that you need to get um, a, a post-secondary degree to have access to many of these jobs when you're slammed with like that, that student debt uh, bill at the end of it, it actually, uh, the, the promise is not being fulfilled. So 
Um, I'm just, you know, I'm thinking about all these things um, kind of twisted together where we're like asking something of people, um, but, you know, as a country, not giving them um, back their uh, their fair shot um, after they've done uh, what they, you know, what the country has asked them to do. Um, so I'm just, I was going to shift over, Antoinette, and ask you more about uh, a little bit of a high-level overview of the proposals that have been introduced and what they're aiming to accomplish. <clears throat> yeah, sure. So uh, there have been three proposals in the last month that have been introduced into legislation. The first one is a bill called College for All by Senator Bernie Sanders. And uh, that bill would cover tuition, uh, free community college and uh, public four-year colleges up for families making up to $125,000 for the four-year portion. Um, it would also double the federal Pell Grant, which would go a long way toward uh, restoring some of that promise. And um, the second one is, is from Senator Schatz, and it's called the Debt-Free College Act. It would cover up to the full cost of attendance, prioritizing people that come from low-income backgrounds. So that's a, that's a really important commitment there because... We know that tuition is just one portion of what students have to pay. And, and Russell referred to this a little bit, but there's books, there's living expenses, there's transportation for many uh, students, there's childcare and uh, things like that, which really add up. And then the third bill uh, is America's College Promise, which would provide uh, two years of tuition-free community college and would also subsidize tuition at uh, historically black colleges and universities, tribal colleges, and other minority serving institutions. So there's different levels of who it would cover and what it would cover. But the one thing that all of these proposals have in common is that uh, the way that that the federal government would pay for them. So they're all done through what is called a state federal partnership where the federal government kicks in a portion of funding to help cover costs and states uh, pay the rest. And the important part about these types of proposals is that it requires states to maintain or increase their investment, <clears throat> investment in their public colleges, which we know is one of the uh, reasons for rising tuition. So it also helps deal with that increasing costs over time. Right. Because, you know, one of the first things that goes um, every time there is a recession and states have to do budget cuts um, is, quote unquote, unnecessary stuff like higher education. <laughs> and when um, and it's just uh, I mean, that's so smart to have um, there be some incentives there for the federal government um, or for the states to um, make sure that they're, they're keeping those amounts up um, as well. So we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about who is most impacted by the student debt crisis um, after this commercial break. You're listening to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. I like this jaunty welcome back. Uh, welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I am your co-host, Charlotte Hancock, 
And I'm your other co-host, Bopping Away, Ed with Eugene. <laughs> I think uh, Mark Grimaldi, our producer, got some some snazzy new intros. I'm into the music. Thanks, Mark. Um, all right. So uh, we are talking today about the student debt crisis um, and a lot of the momentum that we've been seeing here about some of these college affordability proposals in the past uh, month or two. Um, and I want to welcome back our guests, um, Russell Boyd from NAACP and Antoinette Flores from the Center for American progress. Um, Russell, I want to jump right in here with you. Uh, which communities are most impacted by the student debt crisis? Of course, uh, I know we, when we talk about the impact that student debt has on particular communities, um, I know myself, um, uh, being Black in this country, you know, and having, having student debt, feeling those personal impacts, I can definitely say, um, the Black community and communities of color, but I'd also love to go a little bit deeper into that um, and speak uh, specifically to Black women who are the most impacted by um, student loan debt in just the inequities in the education system in general. Uh, I remember uh, last year we put out a, a, a Black student debt report and, you know, we found that 47%, like Black women hold 47% more student debt than white men and 27% more than white women. That alarming fact alone um, is very telling about the impacts that student debt has on Black women. But then when you look at it a step further, when you look at how Black women are um, um, paid less um, when they do acquire um, a job in the professional world. You look at that statistic compared to the fact that they are holding more debt but being paid less than the people who are being paid more than them. When you look at those alone, you, you just look at, you, you, one can only understand that the impact that they may have on an individual in addition to the other things that are also impacting um, black communities and communities of color, more specifically black women and uh, women of color, when you look at the impacts that COVID has had and exacerbating many of these things. Um, and we look at um, a lot of the other disparities um, that women in general face, and then you add student debt on, on top of it. it it's um, um, definitely um, just telling. And then I also think about um, uh, folks who have been targeted by uh, for profit colleges. Um, and a lot of people who have been targeted by for-profit colleges are people, um, are Black communities and also low-income communities who are, again, sold, yet again, sold these dreams that, oh, you know, come, uh, this easy program, we'll be able to support you through, uh, uh, through school, we'll be able to work around your schedule, we'll be able to uh, work around, you know, after hours, it'll be affordable, you can do it online, uh, selling people those dreams because people are wanting um, that desire to to lift themselves to participate in upward mobility to be able to to do more to do better for their families so they they turn to these schools as an outlet for hope only to rack up all of this debt and then have a degree that's not for lack of a better term taken seriously as those compared to uh, other institutions and that's not their fault that's them being specifically targeted and preyed on by these for profit um, institutions that never never had the best intention for these folks in mind. And then, you know, one could make the argument that, oh, you know, Joe Biden just did an entire relief and the Department of Education just, you know, had this entire memo in which they outlined the, the, um, the relief that people um, that were preyed on by for-profit uh, for colleges uh, were just provided. And that's a great thing. I'm so happy that folks who were um, who were frauded of that money was um, are in a process of being able to provide that relief. But what about those folks? And there are so many 
who don't even know that they're eligible, who don't even have the access and knowledge that that's something that they can get back, who have gone through the ringer with a very dysfunctional uh, financial aid office of even trying to understand how they can put in a claim about student loan fraud, not even understanding the access that they have to those resources when we think about that. So I think it's just, uh, uh, again, and I hate to sound like such a pessimist but about this issue, but it is a, an impactful issue. You know, you think about how this issue from so many small foundational levels really impact black communities and communities of color. And then lastly, I'll, I'll say um, for undocumented community, uh, our undocumented community as well, be more specifically, and thank God for this victory as well, recently, you know, being able to um, have those provisions to where uh, COVID relief is provided to all students, um, regardless of their status, but that not being the case before in the previous administration, uh, those communities being targeted by that, be, by being students and not being able to receive that same relief um, to an institution that they too are equally paying to attend the same way as other students, um, understanding that impact. And then when you add the intersectional layers of being a black immigrant, being a woman immigrant, being an uh, a, a immigrant uh, that may have a disability, when you add those intersectional layers, you continue to think about how traditionally um, disenfranchised communities are the most impacted by this issue. And it lets us know that it's, uh, that it's an institutional and historical issue um, that needs to be addressed from its root. I think I think you covered a lot of great ground there, Russell. And I think you're so right. We talk about communities of color. We talk about women. We talk about uh, people who have been scammed by for-profit colleges. Um, we talk about low-income borrowers. Uh, all all people who um, are disproportionately hit hard uh, by student debt um, and ha often have fewer support systems um, in in place. Financial support systems in place to um, sort of get out of um, a hole when a promise is broken or they've been cheated. So um, thank you for walking through that. I think that's absolutely right. And I think this really describes to us um, why we need equitable solutions to the crisis. So Antoinette, can you talk through um, some of the solutions, like why, uh, how we can make sure that the solutions to this crisis are as equitable as possible? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, sure. And you know, what Russell talked through shows up in the federal data in really uh, shocking ways. So uh, one of the things that we know from, from federal data that we have on student loan borrowers is that uh, Black borrowers that end up with a bachelor's degree end up owing more 12 years after they borrowed than uh, when they graduated. So there, there's a challenge paying down debt. Um, that's also true for women, particularly mothers and single mothers. Um, but one of the challenges is that, when even describing this crisis, is that the Department of Education or the federal government hasn't collected uh, student loan debt information or data by race. The only way we have this data is through survey data. And so in uh, the relief bill that was passed in December, one of the change, small changes in that bill that could have a big impact on even just understanding the scale of this crisis is adding a race question to the FAFSA for financial aid. And uh, so that is something that we'll see in the years to come and we'll have a better sense of 
of how uh, student debt impacts, a better sense of how student debt impacts communities differently. Uh, but the other thing is that, you know, as we're considering college affordability proposals, it's looking at the full cost of attendance, the full cost that uh, students and families face. And uh, one of the things we haven't talked about is it's not just student, the students themselves that are taking on debt. In a lot of cases, it's the parents through the parent plus loan. And we know that that impacts communities differently as well. And when you add that up, that's a very significant debt load, not just on an individual, but on a community. Um, so looking at the full scope of the problem is is uh, fundamental to providing the right solutions. But we need solutions that are bold, that are broad, and that address the full scale of the crisis. Awesome. Thank you, Internet. Uh here, here, second that. Um, well, we are just about out of time for today, but I want to make sure folks know where they can find you. Um, Antoinette, as we wrap up, for people who are listening and want to get more involved uh, in this issue, where can they find you and your work online? Sure. Uh, on the American Prog Center for American Progress website under post-secondary education, and I can also be found on Twitter. Great. That's Antoinette Flores from the Center for American Progress. And Russell, where can folks find more about you and your work? Absolutely. Um, folks can definitely uh, learn more about what the NAACP is doing um, on all social media platforms at NAACP. Um, also, the Youth and College Division, more specifically at NAACPYC underscore. And you can also follow me as well um, on Twitter. I can be found there. Um, and Instagram at the same thing, Russell Boyd too. So thank you all so much for having uh, me. I it's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much, Russell. That's Russell Boyd from um, the NAACP Youth and College Division. That is all the time that we have for today. Thank you to today's guests, uh, Internet Flores and Russell Boyd, to our producer, Mark Grimaldi, our communications manager, Emily Leach, um, and also to all of our listeners. Um, Edwith, it was great talking with you again. Um, make sure you all follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Check us out at Gen Progress, and we will talk to you again on our next Remote Generation Progress takeover of The Leslie Marshall Show. Streaming only on Peacock. John Wayne Gacy is suspected of having killed as many as 32. Straight from the killer's mouth. They want you to believe that I alone committed these murders. The new gripping six-part documentary series that investigates the crimes that shocked the nation. The thing everybody thought they knew wasn't the whole story. John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise. All episodes streaming now. Devil in Disguise. Only on Peacock. Hi, Little Bob here to let you know that my Bobopedic mattresses offer the comfort and quality of a national mattress brand for half the price. No matter your budget, there's a Bobopedic memory foam hybrid or hybrid plus mattress for you. But don't take it from me. Check them out at mybobs.com.